delighting to be here. Are you delighted to be here this morning? Or has it been a rush? You know, I just remember times in my life when, um, and there weren't many of them, and thinking back, it was probably only when I was ill that I didn't go to church, but I was thankful that I didn't have to go out. You know, I was pleased that something else was there. And God changed my heart over the years. And that was largely because I was brought up in a Christian family. And over the years, um, God's really delighted. My, this is my place of delight on a Sunday. My, my place, if I go somewhere else, we go on holiday, we, we, we usually seek out Christians, and it's delight to be there, but there's a difference with your own family. The Bible um, refers to the church as a universal thing, a global thing, which is happening. But the Bible doesn't only speak in the terms of globally and universally, he speaks very much locally, within the context of family. And that's the very important thing for us this morning. We've got family this morning. And I know Steve has already prayed, but I just, want to, I just want to pray again because I just want to sense the Spirit working amongst us this morning because of church without the moving and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit is a little bit static, shall we say? So, Father, we just invite your Holy Spirit to come upon us. For me, for speaking, Lord, but also for hearing. Lord, and what we're going to read out of your word this morning is about Jesus speaking and people hearing. But even then, the power of the Spirit was at work, drawing people to a new family, to a new community. So, Father, we just thank you so much for this opportunity to be together. Help us to really appreciate one another, we pray in Jesus' name. Okay. If you're following the reading, it's um, Luke 8, 19 to 21, just three verses. And um, if you've had the chance, it's quite helpful to read the other accounts of given here by Matthew and Luke. And that's quite an interesting thing, because not everything that Jesus did was recorded by every writer. But this one in particular was recorded by Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And that in itself gives us great insight into what's going on, on here. It's a very simple event. And, um, but if you read those others, it gives us more information. And we should be drawing a little bit on that information that the other writers have put into this event which was happening. And that's a good thing always, I think, as a good practice when we read our Bibles, especially in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to see which events are written by, because they all have a different view on it. They have a different purpose, too, which is a very great thing. Well, let's, let's read this from Luke, because this is our series, Luke eight nineteen to 21. Then his mother... And his brothers, that's Jesus' mother and brothers, came to him. But they could not reach him because of the crowd. He was told, your mother and brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. 
And as I should be saying, that's no new rocket science truth, is it? Mm -hmm. Right from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, the blessing was hearing the word of God and doing it or not doing it, as the case may be. So right from the beginning of time, right from those early days when Adam and Eve were placed on this earth, hearing the word of God and doing it was the key. The key. So it's no new truth. It's no new rocket science. It's no new religion. What Jesus was telling them was, in a sense, simply faith. So just a backtracking and just a little bit of context here for looking at these verses this morning. As I said, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this event or incident in the life of Jesus. Matthew, he underscores that what Jesus was doing here was actually evidenced in the Old Testament writings because Matthew's thought pattern here is to convey to the people that the coming of Jesus, what he was doing, what he was saying, had already been placed, embedded in the truth of the Old Testament. We have the Old Testament in our Bibles, written in Hebrew originally and been translated in different ways. But the key thing is, Jesus is there. He's embedded in the Old Testament. And as he talks about Jesus standing and talking to people, to the crowds, he was saying, well, this is fulfillment of the Old Testament, really. What Jesus is doing is to fulfill that, what God intended then there was Mark. He, he, he would portray Jesus as very reachable, relational, and reliable. He was reliable for people outside of class and status and religious hierarchy. His words were life and power, not intellectually biased and out of reach. So why was Jesus drawing the crowds? Because what he said could now be understood. What he said and the way he said it was hitting here. Yeah? It was making people do things. It was, may maybe it was making people feel they belonged. And that's a great thing about church, isn't it, really? When you come and you hear his words, they make you feel and know you belong. They make you feel, I need to get up and do something. There's power in his words. That's why the crowd followed him. That's why the crowds follow him. And Mark's saying this, look, he's reachable. He's relational and he's reliable. Now all you guys can get there, you can get that, can't you? Someone who's real. Someone who's accessible. Then Luke is now writing, and you remember at the beginning of his, he wrote these things, you know, so that we, we would see, so that um, Theophilus would know the truth, that he would understand. And so Luke is saying here, let's not forget the words and ways of Jesus. Let's hear them. Let's obey them. God is right in this, because Luke underscored the importance that Jesus was the Son of God and the Son of Man. He said, God's right on this. He's right on this man. He's right on the words he's speaking. He's not distant. He's right there. And he's there personally too. 
God's in this. And it's wonderful to know, isn't it, that we can take that message this morning, say just what we're doing here, sitting in chairs, even though they're apart, and we're singing hymns, and we're lifting our hands, we're praising and we're worshiping God's on this. And Luke would say that everything that Jesus did and said, God was on it. He's on it, and he's on us. He said, look, it's like an open door. You can go through this door. It's, it's, the Pharisees might tell you, oh, it's so difficult, you can't get through it. You know, you have to do this, this, and this, and that. But no, Luke says, this is like a door. You can go through it. Anybody can get through it. It's an open door, and simply by faith, anyone can walk through this door and belong. Jesus teaches who his real family are as he establishes the importance of this new community now beginning to form around him. So here's Jesus. His mother and his brothers are outside. They want to speak to him. We get a little nuance to why they're there back in Matthew. But they're there trying to speak to him. And it's quite a simple lesson here, really, isn't Jesus is saying, you know, those who hear the word and go do it, they're the ones I'm really interested. That's my new family. That's the ones I have, I'm, I'm related to, in actual fact. In actual fact, they're one with me. So in fact, this simple act this morning, in gathering and worshipping and praising, we're one with Jesus. We're part of his family. It's like in Hebrews, it says that Jesus amongst his, he's not ashamed to call us his brothers. There's that oneness. That's that ownership, that sense of belonging, that oneness with God, who is our Father. So Luke is telling us who his real family are. And as he establishes the importance of the new community now beginning to form around him. The crowd, I think, indicate they were getting the idea. His words were worth listening to. So I suppose the, the thought and the key thing this morning is that we're thinking about this morning is God's, God's greater family. God's greater family. And if you'll bear with me, you just need to put this in context just a little. God's greater family, the idea, the concept, and belief of true family with a unique identity runs deep in the history and the heart of the Jewish nation and people. Tracing their history back to Abraham as the father of the nation, it was God himself who called and moved them to be the people of God. The relationship was a covenant relationship in that it was God who called them and gave promises by which they could call God to account. What God said, people could actually call God to account to on what he said. They were so true, and they were so meaningful. So these words he gave them, um, male circumcision became a key mark of true identity and belonging. In that very poignant moment, God was speaking to Abraham Look at the stars and see the sand on the seashore. And he said, your family would be like this. You'll become a great nation 
and in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So it's not only the family that God was forming through Abraham, but it was the greater family. In your seed shall all, not just the nation of Israel, in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And we are seeing that being worked out so wonderfully and marvelously today. Even tonight, we're going to pray for Christians from Afghanistan. Probably several of them have been Muslims or of other faiths or of no faith, and yet they're in the family of God. In your seed, God said, shall all the nations of the earth be best. So we're getting the idea that God has a plan of a greater family, beginning with Israel. And I know a lot of people aren't interested in looking or thinking about the nation of Israel, but we can't avoid it. We must look where they are today and what they're doing because God's still working specifically with his people, even though with those who have not believed in Jesus yet. We need to look at them because through them, and if we read our Bibles right, we find in a future day to come, God is going to use Jewish people to bring other people to know Jesus. The greater family. And we're part of that greater family. So this is the first indication that a greater family was in the heart of God as a plan and as a purpose. What I've just said is what was known as a patriarchal promise because it was given to Abraham and he was sort of thought of as the patriarch, the one whom God began this great thing with. The patriarchal promise, as it is known, involved three things. It involved progeny, that's the sense of really belonging to a family, authentic family and true identity. It involved progeny, where God would bring a blessed nation in world history. The second thing it involved was blessing, because God said to Abraham he would bless him. Blessing of living in a covenant relationship, which is destined to overflow to other people around. Something which was largely failed to do. So this nation of Israel, God was going to bless. He was going to make them a very special people, he was going to bless them in a covenant relationship. And the other thing, which I'm not going to go into this morning, but it's quite controversial, he was giving them was land. But lots of Christians got a lot of ideas about that. Whether he's still going to give him the land or not, we don't know. But they never got to all the land that God was given them. Well, I suppose for us this morning, this family we're in has given us access to gaining so much ground in life. So much ground in life. To get rid of old habits, to do good things, to actually do things we never thought we would do. To be a people would overflow with kindness to others. To be a people would be in themselves, content within themselves, knowing the peace of God. This greatness, this wonder, this fullness. So as we determine from history and the present situation with the Jewish nation, the fullness and fulfillment of God's heart for his people has sort of fizzled out. 
Now, I say that, and I think you get in the context here, because this crowd that Jesus was talking to, they were in right in that very place. It all seemed to have lost, all seemed to have lost that heart and purpose. So Jesus was crowd, the crowds around him. He was drawing more crowds. They wanted to hear. They wanted to know. And it's, but what Jesus was doing at this time, he was forming his new family. The crowd would have largely been made up of these Jewish people, many circumcised men, many claiming to have a bona fide claim to being the people of God. But the sense of belonging, blessing, and becoming seem to have passed them by. I just want to ask you that question this morning. That any one of those things could ring a bell with you. The sense of belonging or blessing from God, or the sense of becoming, has that seemed to have passed you by? Or, or are you sense, I know who I am in Christ, the sense of belonging. I know God wants the best for me. That's the blessing he wants to give to me. And I know that God has a purpose for my life, the sense of becoming. He has a purpose. He doesn't want us static. He wants us to move on. To move on we are, taking ground. The Jewish people never got all the ground that God wanted them to have. That's a reminder, isn't it? Are we in that place this morning? We're not getting all that God wants us to have. Is there any sense that you might feel like that or know that in your spirit, in your life? I want more. We want more. I think Fred quoted several years ago from a book somewhere. He says, you can have as much of God as you want. You can have as much of God as you want. So Jesus comes not with rocket science or religious form, not with new teaching, but simply faith. Simply faith. That's what it is. Those who hear the word of God and do it, they're his new family. They're his greater family. But it wasn't a new thing. God's greater family will also live by faith. So what applied then applies now. Those who hear the word of God and do it will form the community of the people of God. That's the context so, faith always requires action. Jesus said, My mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Faith always requires action. And that's quite important because there's so many people around us believe in Jesus. You know, they... But belief on its own doesn't qualify. Faith requires action. In John 6, 28, Jesus had recently fed 5,000 people. And um, they'd enjoyed this event. It was really you know, a good barbecue, a good picnic. They enjoyed there. And um, they 
they, they were talking about this and wondering about it. And then they, they came to Jesus, and, and I suppose they were wondering, well, what can we do? And they said to Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus simply answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Believe in him whom he has sent. And God sent his son to be the savior of the world. What works do you want us to do, Lord? Well, believe in the one whom God sent. He's the one you must trust in. He's the one you must give your life over to. He, you, you must believe, you must trust in him. He's the one. Ah, but that's where, that's where the Jewish nation failed largely. They couldn't find Jesus to be the acceptable Messiah, the acceptable one, the one. And I think you read the context, it was in the chapters we've been reading, in Luke and in Matthew, you find the Pharisees there, they're, they're sort of really taking him off. He's doing the works of the devil. He's not the son of God, you know, and, and, they, and they ended up trying to kill him. He was the one whom God sent. And it's the same for us today. Jesus is the one God sent. I could mention other names, but there's only one Son of God. That's Jesus. His name is Jesus. In Acts 2, Peter's preaching. Uh, this is the time when the Holy Spirit came and fell on those gathered as they were praying in the upper room. And uh, Peter had given this tremendous sermon, if you like, story and history about Jesus He'd given that to the people, and we read, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. It so impacted them, this message of Jesus, that they said, what shall we do? <laughs> what shall we do? See, I'm just looking at these what's, because those who hear the word of God and do it. You can think of Zacchaeus up the tree, who went to Jesus, and I expect he asked Jesus that question. Well, Jesus, what should I do now? Well, give away half your goods to the poor and restore that which you've taken and make restitution for what you've done. You see, hearing the word of God and doing it. And Jesus said to Zacchaeus in the end, he said, yeah, you are a son of Abraham. You do belong. God is blessing you. God is helping you. And here the same thing is happening. I just read the words to you. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him Lord and Christ. This Jesus, whom you crucified, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now read these words. For the promise is for you, Jewish people, and for all your children, the Jewish people, and for all who are far off, 
That's us. In fact, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, God's greater family. The Jews, the children, those who are far off, and those he will call God's greater family. And that's what Jesus was talking about on this day. Well, not rocket science, it was just simply my real family are those who hear the word of God and do it. Then it goes on to say, and with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, hearing and doing. Faith is one thing, hearing and doing. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls, the greater family again, 3,000 souls. Here's the greater family growing. And we can see in these verses how the promise of progeny, blessing, and taking ground came about through the fact that Jesus came to give us life. I just want to read a verse now in Hebrew, sorry, in Ephesians 1, verse 11. Because in those verses which Peter said, Repent and be baptized, and everyone will receive the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 1, verse 11, it reads, In him we have obtained an inheritance, belonging, blessing, progeny, what do you like? We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That word sealed is such an amazing word. Paul drew it from the life that was going on around him. And it could be something like this. Something had to go from there to there. Now, before it went from there to there, it had to be inspected that everything was in order, nothing was broken, and it was complete. That being the case the seal was put on it, then it could go. Now that second half of the purpose of the seal was to guarantee that that package would arrive at the place it was going to. And when Paul's taking this word from this, he's saying, well, it's like you when you've received Jesus and you've received the Holy Spirit. God has checked that everything's in order it's acceptable. Nothing's broken. Oh, let me put my seal on that. That's okay. That's good. It's, it can now go on. And guaranteed to get to its destination where it's going. And God has set his seal upon us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Which is coming to my last point here. What is the value of God's Holy Spirit to you? What is how... 
relational are you with the Holy Spirit within you? Do you actually make steps to make relationship with the Holy Spirit who's within you? I think it's a challenge for us. Because what God has brought us into is so wonderful and complete. It's a perpetual relationship because he then does not leave us. Neither will he forsake us. And he will guarantee at all costs that you get to the place where God intended you to be. And that's the place of belonging, blessing, and becoming. The Holy Spirit. One of the things the Holy Spirit does, he cries within us, Abba, Father. Why does he do that? Because sometimes we doubt in our, in our moments of weakness, we doubt that we belong. We doubt that God wants to bless us. We doubt that God wants to actually move us on from where we are. There's a, there's a few aged people here, and we might say, well, where can I go now? There are all these, Christi- these years of Christian experience. Where do I go now? There's somewhere for you to go. Well, even if it's heaven at the last, but I mean, that's the wonderful thing about it. But there's somewhere for all of us to go. There's another step to take. Every step that I take, we sing sometimes. The Spirit, he's crying within us. Daddy, Father, I belong. Thank you so much. The perpetual inheritance, I've said that. And then it's the Father who seeks worshippers, and those who worship must worship in spirit, in truth. It must, we must worship where our need is. We, we must worship where our need has been met. We must worship what God has, the transforming work God has done in our life, because that's the spirit. God's working in the deep needs within us. He's bringing us to a place. The Father seeks worshippers. We need to worship around what Jesus has done for us, thanking him and praising him. The Father seeks worshippers, and those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. And the last thing is that wherever we are, and I pray this as a church as well, he leads us into truth. And I think... um, I've spoken to Steve about this. I've started to become a bit worried about my family. <laughs> Different things I hear them talking about and in their church and one thing and another. Thought, oh, is that, I'm a bit worried about that. And, I've, and um, we've added to our praying on a Friday. We're praying for our family that they stick to the truth. The Holy Spirit leads us to truth. We do need to ask him and to say, show me what is right. And if we have any questions this morning, and I think we need to ask, continually ask this as a church, where is God leading us? Where is he leading us? Where is he leading us? Who knows? Come, Holy Spirit.